gracious God, let these words be more than words. Give us the spirit of Jesus. Amen. Please be seated. A few summers ago in the Wind River Mountains, I found myself scrubbing dishes with Barbara Brown Taylor, the writer and Episcopal priest. There was a little bit of a gas. She's one of the top preachers in America, regularly listed as one of them. And we happened to be assigned to the same dish crew for chores at Ring Lake Ranch, a sort of clergy dude ranch up in Wyoming. (laughs) My mother, who is also an Episcopal priest, and I, we were there for a conference and retreat. In the days, we hiked and fished and rode horses. In the evenings, Brown Taylor was presenting about her New York Times bestselling book, learning to walk in the dark. And it was just happenstance. Because my last name started with the letter A, and the authors with B, we found ourselves on the same dish crew. And the first night we were assigned, uh, she pushed me out of the way as she tied an apron around her waist and passed me a towel to dry. She rolled up her sleeves, leaned over the sudsy sink, and said to me, This will go faster if you let me scrub. I have lots of practice. At other meals, we were tasked with sweeping floors, stacking chairs, chopping vegetables for lunch the next day. It would have been really easy for Barbara Brown Taylor to skip the chores. She could have said, you know, she needed to get her notes together for the evening's talk. She was there, the famous one, paid to speak, the reason we had showed up for the conference, it would have been easy for her to skip out. She never did. BBT, as her readers sometimes call her, she showed up to work. She often led our little crew, making sure we each had a task, a broom, a dustpan, or a dish towel. I'd been a Barbara Brown Taylor fan for years. I became a bigger fan that week in Wyoming as she passed me sparkling clean dishes and kept me laughing while we worked. And those small moments in the kitchen came back to me this week as I considered the story of Martha and Mary. And Jesus was a storyteller, illustrating his teaching with talk of sheep or seeds, landowners, merciful parents, merchants and pearls. And sometimes Jesus told stories. Sometimes Jesus lived them. And his reflections in the moment are remembered like parables. This image of Martha frustrated in the kitchen looking for help It's teachable. Jesus chose to teach in the midst of the moment. It's one of those most preached on of stories. And often the story is taught very simply. Don't be a Martha. Don't be distracted. Don't be preoccupied with work. I'm sure some of you have heard that sermon before. Be a Mary. Spend time with Jesus. Spend time with God. Spend time in contemplative prayer. Lori preached a great sermon last week extolling the benefits of contemplation, inviting folks to our contemplative prayer here at Holy Communion. I'm grateful for Lori's exhortation to the contemplative life, partly because it frees me from preaching that same sermon again. Good colleagues will do that for you. They'll challenge you to take another step, to consider something in a new direction. I can't tell you how many sermons I've heard on this particular gospel. Maybe you've heard them as well. I've heard sermons that say, Mary took the better part, then what's the best part? It's the integration of the two. I've heard that sermon more than once. I found myself this week reflecting on Martha's frustration. 
I want to take this in a slightly different direction than a lot of the sermons I've heard and I've preached. I've encountered more than one reflection on this text by a biblical scholar who happened to be a woman. More often than not, women writers turn the story on its head. They identify with Martha. Women have stood in that kitchen, worried, distracted, preoccupied, busy with tasks while the guys were out having fun. You almost want to roll your eyes at Jesus when he responds, Mary has chosen the better part. Who's going to feed the folks if Martha skips out of the chores? That's another good sermon. It's in that sense it's refreshing to hear that perspective on Martha informed by a feminist outlook. But I wonder if we can go in a slightly different direction. I want to sit with Jesus, with his critique of Martha for a moment, because I don't think it's as simple as, be a Mary, don't be a Martha. I'm not sure it's as simple as all the sermons I've heard. As I found myself reflecting on Martha and her frustration with her sister, something kept coming to mind. Something we know is true about discrimination is that those who are oppressed often become agents of oppression toward others in their same social caste. Something we know about discrimination is that those who are oppressed become agents of oppression towards the others in their same social caste. Some of the worst perpetrators of misogyny, some of the worst opponents of feminism, it turns out, are women. Listen to what Martha says again. Why are you letting Mary hang out with you? Why isn't she working? Her place is with me here in the kitchen. Listen to what Martha doesn't say. Guys, I need a hand in here. Jesus, get a dish towel. (laughs) No, Martha doesn't say those words. Martha isn't so bold. And I think that's part of why Jesus turns back on Martha. I wonder what Martha's mother taught her what her aunties and her grandmother taught her about her place in the world, her place in the home. I wonder how Mary heard her sister's words. I wonder how Mary had the courage to stay put. I wonder whether Mary found the courage to disobey the teachings of her, fo- of her foremothers, of her foremothers, those same teachings that her sister sought to reinforce. When Jesus says Mary has chosen the better part I found myself this week thinking, in that rebuke of Martha's assumption, there's something of Jesus critiquing the gender bias. It's there implicit in Christ's words. I wish it was more explicit in the Bible. I I think that a lot about the Bible. But I do hear it there in the margins. One of the best definitions for sin that I know is this. Sin is that which diminishes the humanity of the other or my own humanity. Sin is that which diminishes the humanity of the other or my own humanity. I've been looking for who said that originally for years. I haven't found it. I'm about to claim it as my own. (laughs) But I love that definition because it, it makes explicit. Sin dehumanizes. Me, others. Martha's assumptions, Martha's words, her consternation at her sister, in this sense, is sinful. She wants to knock Mary off her high horse. Martha wants Mary to get told. 
to receive a divine rebuke. Literally, she wants Jesus to say, Woman, get thee to the kitchen. Jesus refuses. He refuses to echo that for Martha. I hope the implicit message can be heard. I hope the implicit invitation is there too. Martha, Martha, you don't need to worry. Come and sit with us. You matter to me, you belong with me. Don't serve out of obligation to your gender. Don't assume you are less than your brothers. Come, sit, learn, laugh. Don't be diminished, don't be dehumanized. We know a thing or two about dehumanization these days. And two and a half years ago, as the current president was being inaugurated, I stood in this pulpit and I said, he is our president, pray for him. I also said, hold him responsible. I wish I was surprised by his words this week. I wish I was surprised. I wish that they still fell as a surprise. But racist attacks are par for the course for this president. As the president told four members of the U.S. House of Representatives, four women of color, to go back where they came from, I wish I had been shocked. But such dehumanization has become common for the office of this president. Those words, go back where you came from, they're not new words. They're words that are known by immigrants, by people of color. Folks have heard those words in shopping malls, in school lunchrooms, uttered under the breath. Those words drip with the poison of white nationalism. The idea that people of color do not belong, at least not in the same way as white folk in America. Those words have done damage. Words like that have been said to and about people in this congregation and around our country, and now they have become the words of our president. His words must be denounced. His words were dehumanizing. As his words played out, as the, rhetoric, the rhetorical wars around those words played out, around that racist statement, a racist policy change also came this week. The two are related. The administration is attempting to deny all asylum claims for Central Americans arriving at our, at our southern border. No asylum will be heard. This president has unilaterally decided that death threats from gangs in Central America do not count toward credible fear. This administration has made a policy of denying the human rights of Latin American asylum seekers. Our government now categorically dehumanizes a whole class of immigrants based on their national origin. This is nothing less than the diminishment of their God-given humanity the ignoring of their human rights. Lord, forgive us our sins. Forgive us the sins done on our behalf. I pray this policy will not stand in the courts. I pray our repentance involves writing new just policy for immigration, for asylum seekers, and implicates us in working for justice in El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, the whole region. As a, as a priest, part of my job is to declare penance. 
And I declare our penance should be working with allies for justice in Central America so that folks do not have to flee in fear. How do we respond to dehumanization? How do we respond when racism is the language and the policy of our president, of our government? How do we respond? How do we repent for the evil done on our behalf? If sin is dehumanizing, the diminishment of another's humanity or my own, then spirituality, faith, it's about humanizing. St. Irenaeus said as much. The glory of God is the human being fully alive. Jesus in John's Gospel says, I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. How do we respond to dehumanizing forces in ourselves, in our society, in our government? By humanizing. Today, Jesus invites Martha to see beyond her assumption, to move past her prejudice, to stop assuming her sister's place is serving the men, maybe even to stop assuming that's her place. Implicit in Jesus' invitation is a subversive understanding of human relationships, of human rights. Women are not made to serve men. Women are not less than. Jesus' subversive understanding about human relationships, it permeates this story and the whole body of Jesus' teaching. For millennia now, Jesus' followers have marveled and told the surprising stories of who Jesus chose to eat with. How he shared his table with outcasts, sinners, the poor, women, the hungry, people of every race and color and creed, sex workers. Jesus did not care about respectability politics. Jesus cared about the full humanity, the God-given humanity of each and every person. Especially those whose humanity had been diminished by their sisters and brothers. Jesus healed the sick. He restored folks to community. Jesus gave people their humanity back, time and again. How do we, as Jesus' followers, do the same? Sometimes the invitation is big. And I'm not sure yet if I'm going to be able to accept a particularly big invitation that came my way this week. I arrived back from vacation with a full voicemail and email box. Our area Jewish community has invited all of us to get on the bus to Oklahoma. There are flyers out in the entryway if you're interested. Leaders from Central Reform Congregation and the Jewish Community Relations Council and others, they're leading a trip to a children's immigration detention center in Oklahoma on July 30th. I know that I can't afford time in jail. Some of the clergy and leaders are planning to be arrested. But I do hope to stand in solidarity. Even if I'm not able to get on the bus, I will hold that trip in my prayers, and I'd be happy to support some of our congregation in going if you're able. Sometimes the invitation is big. To stand and witness to the humanity of children who are being illegally detained, held in unsuitable conditions, separated from their parents. Sometimes the invitation to humanize those who have been dehumanized is big. Often the invitation is small. Often the invitation to witness to the God-given humanity of our neighbor is simple. It means knowing the name of the person who empties your garbage at work, knowing their kids' names. It means echoing the words of a woman colleague in a meeting. When a good idea is ignored, 
and then giving her credit when you repeat her words. I think Sarah's idea was a great one when she said, it's amazing how far something like that will go in our still gender-biased workplaces. Sometimes the invitation seems very small, even frustrating. I always groan a bit, at least internally, when I arrive at a spiritual retreat or a monastery and I find out that there are chores. Internally, I think, but I came to get away from work. Why do I have to clean floors and wash dishes? I'm paying to be here after all. And one time when that happened, one of America's top preachers and best-selling author, she got assigned to my dish crew. She didn't shirk her duty. She handed me a dish rag and said, this will go faster if you let me scrub. I have a lot of practice. I hardly remember what she said in the formal lectures about her book, but I will never forget how Barbara Brown Taylor made me laugh as we did chores. I wish Jesus had said the same to Martha in today's gospel. This will go faster if you let me scrub. I have lots of practice. I wish he had joined her in that kitchen. I found myself wondering, maybe Jesus did, and the guys who wrote down the story just couldn't stomach putting that part in print. (laughs) The legacy of misogyny in the church still needs dismantling. And sometimes the invitation is very small. It isn't about glory or being on the front page of a newspaper. It just means deciding to serve the person who expected to serve you. We live in a dehumanizing society. Sometimes the invitation to give back our neighbor's God-given humanity, it means simply rolling up our sleeves, letting go of our assumptions, and working together to get the dishes done. Amen.